invite you to turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 7 this morning. To Joshua chapter 7, and as you're, you're turning there, just by, by way of introduction, we've been following the children of Israel into the promised land. And the, the land of promise, the land that God had promised them, had promised uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and for hundreds of years. And then finally, uh, the Israelites, we saw them cross over the river Jordan. God did a miracle. Uh, we saw last week, God did another miracle at the Battle of Jericho and uh, overcame an overwhelming obstacle. And the people saw a mighty victory by the hand of God that was won not by swords and not by shields and not by weapons of war, but by the shout of worship to the Lord. And God, God brought the walls down flat. And God is still working. And the Israelites have their first victory, but the challenge is not over. And in the Christian life, we face victories in life, but the challenge is never over until Christ returns or calls us home and says, well done, good and faithful servant. While we're in this world, there will be trouble. While we're in this world, we will have to deal with temptation, and we will have to deal with sin. And it's real easy to let our guard down. It's real easy to sit back. It's real easy to let ourselves become consumed or let ourselves just fall into sin. Sometimes in the midst of great victories. Here in Joshua chapter 7, we see coming on the heels of this great victory, we see Israel facing a surprising defeat. And we learn of the devastating results of sin. And this morning, in the time we have together, I want us to to look at that and unpack from this passage the effects of sin. Look with me in Joshua chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men went up there from the people. And they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why why have you brought 
this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say? When Israel has turned their backs before their enemies, for the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and will cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, Get up! Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up. Consecrate the people and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord, God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans. And the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households. And the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have revealed it to us. Lord, we thank you for, Lord, what you are revealing to us today. Lord, you are serious about sin and you are serious with your people. And Lord, you are serious today. And God, I pray that we would submit ourselves to you and to your authority under your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This passage is very very important, what should have been an easy victory became a, a lesson for Joshua and a lesson for every Israelite. And it's a lesson for us today. What are the devastating effects of sin? Number one, the effects of sin. Our sin brings the wrath of God. Look in verse 1. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things, for Achan the son of Carmi took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. A lot of times when we talk about God and sin, a lot of times when we talk about God, we can make God into this like marshmallowy type of figure in heaven. And we can say that God is love, which is correct and which is true. But we want to devoid God of holiness or righteousness or justice. But God, in His Word, God is, God is love, but God hates sin. Amen. He hates sin. And sin causes the anger, the wrath of the Lord to burn, to burn hot. Now, Jericho, 
If you remember, Jericho, when God took the Israelites there, he said, this whole city is devoted to destruction. I want you to destroy everything. And you can only the silver and gold, the precious metals come out. But who did they belong to? They belonged to God. They were supposed to go into the treasury. And yet there was one man. It was clear, but there was one man who decided to blatantly disregard the explicit command of God. And he took some of that silver, some of that gold. He took some of the things that had been devoted to the Lord for himself. Now it's interesting, later in the passage, it's very clear that Achan stole from God. He broke the commandment, thou shalt not steal. Right, very clear. In verse 1 though, what, what is the sin? Stealing's what he did, but what did he really do by his action? It says in verse 1, he broke the faith. He broke covenant with God. He broke, he transgressed the very first commandment. You will have no other gods. And in this moment and in this time, Achan had set something up, something else up as God in his life. And it was no longer Yahweh. It was no longer the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was the God of himself. It was the God of uh, uh, possessions. It was the God of, of selfishness. It was the God of, God of pride. And Achan's sin brought the wrath of God. This same phrase on the, the wrath of God. The, the last time we see this in the Old Testament, time before this, is when the Israelites did that little thing, Pastor Mark, where when Moses went up on top of Mount Sinai, and while he was up there, um, Aaron and the Israelites made the golden calf. And it says, and the Lord's anger burned against the people. You see, God hates sin. And the wrath of God, Scripture says, is a, it, it is a consuming fire. It, it devours. God is like a fire in that it devours. He purifies. God eats, if we can even say this, God eats sin for breakfast, okay? He consumes it. He hates it with a passion. He does not rest until sin is eradicated. This consuming fire is not something that any one of us ever wants to experience. The wrath of God for sin. You know, a typical forest fire is between 1,400 and 2,200 degrees. It's it's pretty hot. And I I remember... um, I remember... uh, a guy that I met, he, was, uh, he had just gotten back. He was a new firefighter, young, green, all of that. He had, he had just experienced one of his first things after going through school and doing all of that was a uh, wildfire in North Florida. 
and uh, fires raging for days, smoke billowing for miles, closing interstates, that kind of thing. And I said, well, um, you know, what was, that's, that's pretty dangerous stuff. I mean, you, you have flare-ups. I mean, you never know when, you know, the fire's just going to sweep through on your position and you might get trapped. And I said, what, what was, uh, you know, what, what did you learn going through and fighting that, that wildfire? He said, um, he said he saw the awesome power of fire and what it can do. He said, we went through a section behind the fire and it had passed through. And he said that the chief took him out and he said, what once was a road was glass. And as the fire burned through, it got so hot, it crystallized the pavement. And what once was black asphalt was broken glass. Pretty amazing, the power that fire has, the the consuming nature of it. That is the awesome, that is just a glimpse of the awesome power, the wrath that burns by God against any and all sin. What would God be like if He did not hate sin? If God did not hate sin, it meant that either He delighted in sin, like He liked sin, or He would be indifferent to sin. He just looks the other way. That kind of God is not worthy of worship. For sin is hateful, and it is worthy of being hated. Sin is one of those things that just, it ought not to be. It's a reminder that this world is not the way it should be. And yet God hates sin. John 3.36 says, He who believes in the Son has life. He who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God rests on him. Paul says similarly, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of men. Our sin brings the wrath of God. Achan's sin brought the wrath of God down in a real and tangible way. And we are not immune from that today. But not only does our sin bring the wrath of God, but notice our sin affects the people of God. Our sin affects the people of God. Notice in verse 1, Achan sinned, but who bore the consequence? Did just Achan bear the consequence for his sin? No, it says, and the anger of the Lord, in verse 1, burned against who? Just Achan? The whole people. And notice then what it, what it does. When Israel faces a small foe, I mean, when they went to invade Cassit, they went to take over Cassit. I pick on Cassit a lot, but 
Dean Elliott is a friend of mine. I love Cassett. Cassett's great people up there. I'm going to get to Pork Chop Thursdays at the Last Chance Cafe or whatever that thing is. One day I'm going to do it. But Ai was a small town. It was seemingly insignificant. Joshua sent the spies in. They came back and said, no prop, there is no need for us to send the whole army. We're just going to just send like two or three thousand. We can surround this thing. Boom. And what happens? They're defeated. Israel's defeated. People die on the battlefield. And they get back and, and Joshua can't, he doesn't understand it. Why did we lose this? This, this doesn't make sense. God, what, what, what are you doing? What has happened here? Why did you bring us to, to Jericho and you did this amazing thing and this that was impossible and now we go to Ai which is like, this is, these are like you know ants. We should just be able to flick this town over, boom, and, and keep going. There's bigger fish to fry and yet, yet we're defeated. What, what is going on? God lets them know. The sin of one man held back the whole people. The sin of one man brought God's judgment on the whole community, on the whole nation. One of, um, one of the wildest statements in all of Scripture, God tells Moses in Exodus 25 that he will visit the sins of the parents upon the children. Yes. Interesting thing. I mean, we talk about there is absolutely, you are responsible for your own sin. Achan was responsible for his own sin. We are responsible for our own sin before God. But there is a sense in Scripture that's borne out time and time again. That our own sin doesn't just affect us. It affects everyone around us. Amen. Sometimes, um, you know, sometimes we, we see this as uh, the sins of the fathers get passed on to the children. A lot of the things that sometimes uh, parents get, fall into the trap of be it addictions, be it uh, anger issues, be it whatever it may be, a lot of times we pass those things down for our children. Our children see us, they grow up in it, and even when they feel like they can't, even when they feel like they, they want to reject that, they still deal with the same, they, sometimes, you know, we talk about dealing with the same demons, so to speak, you know? And... That's an, that's an example where our sin doesn't just affect us. Here, Achan's whole family ended up reaping the consequence of his sin. Did you notice that? Not to, not to skip to the end, but in the judgment of this, when God brings the judgment, the whole family perishes. His whole family perished and died. His line is erased from the future. He doesn't live to see his grandchildren. His grandchildren don't exist because of his own sin. In another example, in 2 Kings chapter 10, all 70 of King Ahab's sons 
were killed because of his idolatry. The sin of one man brought judgment upon his whole family. Henry Blackaby says, and speaking of this same topic, he says, the sin of parents hinders their children's ability to hear from God. Your sin, mom and dad, affects your children's ability to hear from God. Why? Because if, you, if, if you're sinning before the Lord, you have sin in your life before the Lord, that means your fellowship is broken before God. And you can't hear from God. And if you can't hear from God as, as leaders and, and leading your household, how can your children hope to hear from God? He goes on to say, when church leaders bicker among themselves, the entire congregation suffers. Do you know that? The sin of one affects the many. In this last part of this quote, he says, sin isolates people and fosters self-centeredness. Sin prevents people from hearing from Joshua was on his face. The Israelites had been defeated in battle. And Joshua wants to know why they had lost. The Lord said, there's sin in the camp. And you've got to deal with your sin. One asked the question, is sin holding back your family from where God wants it to be? Is sin in your own life holding back your family from where God wants it to be? Is sin in your life holding back this church? Is sin in your own life holding back this church? From this passage right here, there was really, we, you know, there's really two things, two failures here. Number one, you know, there was definitely Achan's sin and his his failure. Do you know what Joshua's sin was? He did not seek the Lord first. He didn't. That's why Bobby sits on the front row because he's got all the he's got all the answers. No, that's right. Think about it. This was and this was something we brought up. In, uh, in our class this morning. This is why, man, being in a small group, being one of our Sunday school classes is so key. This is why we go over the, some, most of the time the same passage. We're studying in our small groups. We're doing it in, in, in worship. If Joshua had gone before the Lord, before he went to Ai, before they sent the men into battle, what would God have said? He would have said the exact same thing. He told him after he went on his own and did his own thing and said, we're going to do this. He, he, he led the people to take the city and sort of maybe had that mindset, well, Jericho was big. That's something only God can do, but AI is small. That's something we can do. We can handle this. This is the small stuff. God, we can do this on our own. We don't need you for this. That was Joshua's failure. That was the leader's failure. And in the church, 
The leaders can sin when we say, God, we got this. We can do this. We don't need to hear from you first. We're going to do it. We're going to do this our own way, and we don't need to hear from you, and then we're just, we're just going to go out and do it. We need to hear from God first. And the congregation, there was sin in the congregation. There was sin in the camp. Both of these things together led to, led to sin, led to death, led to defeat, led to, where, to where, where they are. So my question is, is your sin holding back your family? Is your sin holding back your church? Is your sin holding back our community from what God wants to do here in reaching the lost here in Camden and in Kershaw County? And in our country, listen, it's, it doesn't start with the sin of our leaders. It starts with our own sin. We like to blame everyone else for our problems. But where should we be pointing the finger? Right here. Take your finger. Point it right here. Stop pointing at your spouse. Right here. Because this is where it starts. With us. Before the Lord. Our sin affects, because our sin affects the people of God. Number three, our sin cannot be hidden from God. Our sin cannot... This is, like the, this is the huge lesson from, from this passage in this story. Achan heard clearly God say, the whole city is devoted to destruction. I mean, Joshua was very clear with relaying that to the people. Very clear. The walls are going to fall down flat. We're going to rush in. You are not to take anything. The only thing you're to take out of there is the silver and gold. And where was that supposed to go? To the treasury. Boom. That was it. The whole city, the very first city they were to take was completely devoted to God. Completely devoted to Him. What did Achan think he could do? You know, you got to think, Achan rushes in. He's, he's been poor his whole life. They're, they get their first battle. He walks in and he sees a robe from Babylon. I mean, crushed velvet, blue suede. I don't know if it had flames on it or what. I mean, but whatever it was, I mean, he thought this is the awesomest thing. I don't know if it was black leather with little tassels. He thought he could, you know, he thought he was like, that is awesome. Let me grab that. That, I mean, that's a shame. That should not go in the fire and just be burned. I mean, that is a collector's item. Let me just take that. And, and, and you, you think he, he, he burst into another room and finds silver, a chest full of silver, and a bar. I mean, a bar of gold, which he went to pick up and he could just like barely pick it up. And he's thinking, this stuff, this city's full of treasures. I've risked my life today. Who's going who's gonna to notice this? He was by himself, which the enemy knows. If he can get us by ourselves, what can he do? Take us down. That's what he wants to do. He wants to get us alone. That's, that's, why, um, you know, that's why it's so critical to stay connected to the body of Christ and to a local church and not, 
and as in Hebrews it says, not neglect the gathering of yourselves together because if he can separate us and get us alone, it's so much easier for him to tempt, to tempt at us, to throw the rocks at us, to break us down and to get us to sin before the Lord. And he, here Achan is by himself. He sees these things and the thought goes into his mind, who is this going to hurt? Who is going to... Who's going to know? He did the, let me look around. There's no one here. And he hauls the stuff and he takes it back to his tent. But notice, what does he do in his tent? Can he hang up that robe? Can he, you know, leave that gold bar sitting on the table in the foyer? What's he got to do with it? He's got to bury it. He takes it inside his tent. It's like he even even, uh, takes the rug, you know, and like moves the coffee table and moves the rug and digs his hole. And this is me digging. And I can do about three times. He probably dug more than that. He puts it all down in there and then what's he do? Covers it back up. Pats it all back down. Puts the rug back, moves the coffee table back into the indentions in the rug. So making sure, like you can't even tell that the coffee table was moved. Do y'all do that when you have people come over to your house? (laughs) You're like stuffing stuff in closets. No one go in the guest room, ever. You might not come back out alive. Aiken thought, I've... You know, and he gets back and he's got all this stuff and you think, you know, he's thinking, I did it. I mean, I know there's a ban and all of this stuff and you know he saw the whole city burned, like all the stuff burned up. You know he saw every other, he probably, and he probably even helped take some of the other gold and silver to the Lord and felt like, well, I did my part. I took some of it into the tabernacle, into the treasury. But I got some. I've secured my future. I've secured my future and my family, and I'm, I'm good now. And nobody knows. You see, he was able probably to fool the people around him. He fooled his neighbors. He fooled his friends. He fooled Joshua. You know? But he wasn't able to fool God. We live, we live in a time to where we can do the same exact thing with our sin. We can think that no one sees and no one knows and that we might be able to hide it from our spouse or hide it from our friends. Or we might be able to fool the preacher, which I want to tell you, it's getting harder to do in the days of face to gram. I'm hurrying, baby. Don't worry. You can fool a lot of people for some of the time, but God knows. And notice, God tells Joshua, okay, um, there's sin in the camp, and I'm going to show you exactly where the sin is. And he has them like line up, and he says, okay, we're going to go tribe by tribe, and then we're going to go down 
to clan, and then we're going to go down to family, and then I'm going to go you man to man. And he actually even, it's interesting, Joshua relays this to the people, meaning God knows one of y'all stole. And we're not going to play guessing games. God is going to reveal it tomorrow. What did Achan have an opportunity to do right there? He had the opportunity right there to come clean and plead the mercy of the Lord right then and there. But what did he do? He probably went home and patted a little bit more on that rug in his tent. So the very next day, the Israelites consecrated themselves. Joshua comes before the, leader, the, the people, and they go tribe by tribe. They get to Judah. And God tells them, and, and he, doesn't, uh, he doesn't relate to us how God, God told them, but God stopped at the tribe of Judah. What, what was significant about the tribe of Judah? Man, this is the tribe the Messiah is going to come from. Yeah. And of the 12 tribes, okay, the man is in this tribe. And then they go clan by clan. And God says, okay, it's this clan. And then out of each clan, then they go family by family. And they say, okay, it's this family. And then they go man by man out of this family until they get to Achan. And Joshua looks him dead in the face and says, you better tell me, basically, you better tell me now exactly what you've done. And and really, here, only confronted by his own, only confronted dead to rights, does he then confess what he's done before Joshua and before the people and, and before the Lord. God sees all. He sees all that we do. He sees all that we suffer. He sees all that we sin. And Genesis it tells us as when Hagar was, was alone in the wilderness with Ishmael and she thought she was about to die, God sends the angel of the Lord and he comes and he provides for her and, and he's, he keeps his promise to her. And she calls that place, she calls the Lord, you are the God who sees. She thought she was bitterly alone and was going to die. And yet God saw her. God is all-seeing. God is all-knowing. And there's nothing that escapes his vision or his knowledge. If we think that we can hide our sin from God, who are we fooling? Are we fooling each other? Are we fooling the preacher? Who are we fooling? The only one we're fooling is ourselves. And if God already knows and sees our sin, what is our only response? To keep on sinning? To keep on fooling ourselves? What's our response? Our response is to surrender to the Lord. That's the last thing We see here our only response, our sin must be surrendered to God. Our sin 
must be surrendered to God. Achan, he confessed his sin, okay? There's a difference between godly... There's a a difference between guilt and godly sorrow. Scripture teaches godly sorrow leads to what? Repentance. And an example of this... Um, beautiful example for me uh, in Scripture is two of the disciples of Christ um, did some really bad things um, during the Passion. Judas betrayed Jesus to the temple authorities uh, to be crucified. He sold him out. He took the money. And he felt guilty about it, tried to give the money back. He felt bad about what he had done. Peter, I, Peter did no better than Judas. Peter publicly denied Christ three times. Even cursing and swearing, saying, I don't know the man. What, what had Jesus already preached? If you deny me before men, I will what? I will deny you before my Father in heaven. I mean, that's pretty bold. Both of these men did, I mean, betrayed Christ. But there's two differences. Judas' guilt led him to, the, to hang himself, to try to escape the sin. Where, does, where did Peter's godly sorrow lead him? Back to the feet of Jesus. And Jesus saying, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And Jesus offering forgiveness and restoration to him. He offers us the same thing. We still have, there's consequences for our sin. We have to face, sometimes we, sometimes we make bad choices and there are consequences. But the ultimate consequence for our sin is death. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, who offers us complete healing and forgiveness. And here in this passage, Achan bore the penalty for his sin. But notice what happens to the people as a result of the sin being dealt with. In the very next chapter... They go back to Ai. Joshua goes to God first. Here's from him. And they go back and have an overwhelming victory. They can keep moving. They can keep growing. They can keep being fulfilled. They're in full fellowship with God. And we take our own sin. 
and when we surrender it to God, that is when He can then come in and take over and forgive us and heal us and restore us. If there's one thing that I believe we need more than anything else, if there's one thing I believe we need as a church, if there's one thing we need as a community, definitely as a nation, we need revival. We need the, the power and the presence of God to come down and blow through and take over. Is that, don't you know that? Do we know, do we know what awaits us as a world if we continue to go away from the Lord and reject Him and despise Him? It's judgment and it's not good. We need revival. You know, the winds, the, we got some winds this week. Blow through. It blew through. I saw pictures. I went to a college in Indiana. Indiana, it's like 40 miles an hour wind on like a calm day. And uh, they sent some pictures. It was blowing stuff down in Indiana. It's like, you know, it must be bad when the people out there, you know, when they're running around from the wind. Um, it blew some golf balls around and made some people's day miserable, I think, in a little golf tournament that's happening this, this week. The Spirit of God, the, that front came in. Did, did we have anything to do with that? Could we cause that? Could we start that? Did we have anything, can we have any control over it? Could we build a wall around it? No. God's Spirit falls and moves. God's in control. He's sovereign. Okay? Completely sovereign. We need Him to fall. And as we study, now we can't, we can't conjure God up. We can't say, okay, if you do this, this, and this, then this is definitely going to happen. But as we study history, start, as we study church history, which starts in the book of Acts and goes all the way through to the present, as we study every movement of God, there are two things that are in common. With every major revival movement of God in history, the first thing is prayer. Never happens without God's people praying. Sometimes it was, there's one called the Haystack Revival that happened when a couple college students slipped out after dark and prayed out in the haystacks. When God's people start praying. Okay? Do you know what the least attended time of anything you could ever program in a church is? Just try to do, say, we're going to pray and see how many people show up. Just say, we're going to do, and you know what? But we're, sometimes though, we'll do a class on prayer and we'll talk about how to have a prayer time and what you should do and pray. And we'll spend like 45 minutes talking about prayer. And how much praying are we doing? What if we ask people to actually pray? I may be stepping on some toes this morning, but that's... Guys, God's not going to move until we start praying. That's, number, that's, that's like number one. Every movement of God, prayer was something that started among God's people before it happened. You know the number two thing? Repentance of sin. Without prayer, 
without repentance of sin, and you don't see God moving. God didn't move on the Israelites until they dealt with their sin. Until they dealt with it in the camp. Until they dealt with the sin of... Man, and it was the sin of one person. When are we going to surrender our sin to God? When are we going to confess our sin to God? When are we going to be broken over our sin to God? And when are we going to repent of our sin before God? You see, we can't go forward in fellowship with God without repenting of our sin. The Israelites would have stayed right where they were. They would have been defeated and destroyed right there if they had not dealt with their sin. And every, everything, every, everything negative that happens to the Israelites from this point on is not because of God and His promise, because God is faithful and is, keeps His promise. It's Israel and their unfaithfulness to God and, and, and falling into sin and chasing after other gods. When are we going to deal with our sin before God? We cannot go forward in our family without repenting of our sin. And we cannot go forward as a church without laying down our sins at the cross. The last question for us today Are you willing to lay it down today? To lay down your sin before the Lord and receive His forgiveness and healing. Pastor Mark's going to come and lead us in a time of invitation. This is a time you need to, you and I, we need to take stock before the Lord. Say, Lord, search me, try me, see if there be any wicked way within me. Today is the day that we lay it down before him and find his forgiveness and grace. Dear Lord, we come before you right now and we, we humble our hearts.